If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. The ideal core candidate must have an unfettered ego in order to retain their own personality while supporting the interlinked minds of many others. Given these parameters, there are only two possible candidate types, egomaniacs with psychopathic tendencies or children. We all know what happened the last time an egomaniac with psychopathic tendencies was in STEM, so a child is our best bet. Having access to standardized school test results, we were able to narrow down our options. We feel that we've found the ideal core candidate in Lily Castellanos. On February 11th, 2012, Lily Castellanos was taken from her family home. Her babysitter was murdered, the body of another little girl was planted, and the house was set on fire. Her parents, Myra and Sebastian Castellanos, were beyond devastated. It tore them apart. Myra refused to believe that Lily was dead. It had to have been a conspiracy of some sort. The body found in the rubble of their home was not their Lily. She was so convinced, and so she began to investigate her suspicions. But Sebastian, he couldn't process that as a possibility. It seemed too outlandish. He tried to process his grief and pull himself back together, but without his wife. It drove a wedge between the pair. The bliss of their lives were gone forever. Myra refused to give up on her search, and Sebastian fell farther and farther away. The two didn't even make it seven months before Myra vanished. Sebastian tried to report her as a missing person to the Crimson City Police Department, but he wasn't taken serious. Who would blame Myra Castellanos for leaving the glass cannon that Sebastian had become? But his is a story that we've already told, at least up to this point. He became an on-the-job drunkard, a shadow of his former self, a lonely mess of a man. But what of Myra? Where did she go? What did she discover? Well, Myra wasn't wrong about her daughter. When Myra vanished, it was to join Mobius, a crossing of enemy lines, you could say. But it was the only way that she could be with her daughter. What choice did she have? At first, it was enough to know that Lily was alive that she could be near the child in Mobius' custody. But Lily's purpose in Mobius was to eventually serve as a core candidate. Though this is still a bit under two years before the events at Beacon Mental Hospital, the Ruvik stem system is still being experimented with. Lily and Myra are allowed time together. The child is not mistreated in Mobius' custody. She's told that her father, Sebastian, has passed away. So she is not raised with concerns or worries over his status. Other Mobius agents also interact with the girl from time to time. For her, it's not some awful, frightening life. But Myra, her mother, knows what's to come. Eventually, Lily will be used to sustain a new program. And then, what will become of her daughter? What will be left over when Mobius is done with her? In July of 2014, the harrowing events of Beacon Mental Hospital take place. Ruvik's perfect execution of a most devious plot to escape from STEM in the body of Leslie Withers. Mobius learned from this experience, a great deal in fact, and a new project was set into motion, the creation of a small town within STEM, a place that would be called Union. And it would be this gentle little being, Lily Castellanos, who would serve as the core this time. Her mother would not allow Mobius to steal Lily away from her. Plans were set into motion to topple Mobius and remove Lily Castellanos from STEM. Enter Mobius agent Theodore Wallace. Some people, they just ooze charisma. 
They can captivate minds, make an evil deed seem a blessing and wise through choice words and a gracious hand. They feed upon certain personality types, break down the barriers of what is and is not socially acceptable. Theodore Wallace was just such a man, motivational speaker, author, and supposed spiritual leader. He came out of nowhere, an enigma, a mystery, a powerful man with a sickly sweet tongue. In late 2014, just a few months after the events at Beacon, indoctrination centers called the Moo Centers began popping up, headed by the one Theodore Wallace. These centers were visited by thousands of people. Recruitment was through the roof. How was this possible? Well, of course, Mobius was backing them. Theodore Wallace used what was called a neuro-linguistic programming on Moo Center visitors to gauge for compatible STEM candidates for the union program. Much like real-world Scientology, the Moo Centers gained tax exemption status as a religious institution to bypass tax laws and increase revenue. Unlike Scientology, however, the Moo Center recruitments were a resounding success. Using Theodore Wallace's programming, mentally malleable yet stable citizen candidates were identified. These people were convinced to voluntarily cut off family ties, making them almost impossible to track down by those who had noticed that they had vanished. No more missing persons reports to cover up. It became the standard for citizen selection for the Union STEM program. Someplace within a Mobius facility, thousands of Terminus pods were created, a small city's worth, for all these people to be plugged into once Union was ready to be activated. In phase one, each person would need to be plugged into a Terminus, their memories wiped, new foundations established for each person within. They would have jobs, they would have homes to personalize, they would have to get licenses for mundane things. There would be a local government for people to vote for. Everything would be ordinary and predictable. Now, to plug a town's worth of people into thousands of terminus pods would require a massive dedication of resources to accomplish, but each person would essentially add to the program and expand the storage space of the program. Remember, each citizen is a hand-chosen, malleable personality who is stable. They are not the core, but their presence and workable minds add to the whole potential of the union program. Approximately 20,000 people would be needed to reach phase two, where enough storage space would be available to activate the wireless function of the STEM program. Ruvik used an early version of this to instigate the Beacon Hospital incident. But in this case, the union STEM program would have enough storage from the core and from the 20,000 inhabitants of the program directly plugged into it that it could cover the general population. In case it's not clear what Mobius is trying to achieve, world domination, of course, nothing has really changed with them. Only individuals with a unity cerebral chip could remain outside the effects of the wireless function of the Union STEM program, namely Mobius operatives. All other people would be pulled into the simulation. Theodore Wallace was an absolute asset to Mobius, seen as a loyal and dependable agent, however. Theodore also had a bit of a god complex, and damn did he hide it well. He flew under the radar of all Mobius psychiatric evaluations. No one suspected that Theodore Wallace was anything other than a high-ranking Mobius officer. From 2014 to 2017, Mobius recruited Union citizens through the Moo Centers and Myra Castellanos plotted for her daughter's freedom from Mobius. She devised a plan to enter the Union program, free Lily from acting as the core, and take her place. 
she would overload every Unity cerebral chip inside Mobius, killing all Mobius operatives, ending Mobius, and destroying the STEM program. But to do this, she needed allies. She brought to her side a woman named Esmeralda Torres, the woman who had actually kidnapped Lily and helped plant evidence of her supposed death. Torres had a direct hand in the suffering of the Castellanos family and bore a great deal of guilt over it. Myra also recruited Julie Kidman, who after the events at Beacon Mental Hospital in 2014 was absolutely primed to betray Mobius, in no small part thanks to Ruvik himself, a seed planted which will soon bloom. The trio of rebels were then approached by Theodore Wallace, who feigned sympathy to their cause and gained their trust in his pledge to help them end the madness of Mobius. But woe to the rebels, for a double betrayal is being brewed. Who could have seen this coming? A double backstab. Theodore Wallace wanted the STEM program for himself. He wanted to control the core, Lily Castellanos. He wanted Union to be brought online. He wanted the wireless function to succeed so that he might usurp control over the program and reign as a god king of sorts. Ooh, spicy. And for this double backstab betrayal to take place, well, Theodore needed a team of his own. You see, Mobius can't really watch what happens within STEM. They're blind to the street-level activities that take place there. They rely on Mobius operatives within Union to report back logistics. Theodore entered STEM and began creating his own little cult within Union. Followers, a fortress, a little army to protect and serve him. One of his recruits was a very special character. A man named Steve, or sorry, Stefano Valentini. Stefano was, in his former life, a wartime photographer. It was during his final expedition into the dangers of the world that he had a life-changing experience. He captured the final moment of a person's life as a bomb detonated, and he took a piece of shrapnel to the eye. But that photo that he captured, it awoke a bit of a hidden desire within Stefano. He really, really enjoyed the feeling of capturing that photo. Not so much the shrapnel embedded in his eyeball, but the capture of a person's final moment of life. He found it beautiful, the ultimate art, divinity in motion, and he wanted more of it. Models, ballerinas, beautiful women, even girlfriends fell victim to Stefano. Men as well, but he favored preying on the fairer sex. Eventually, his grotesque fetish was put on display in his gallery, much to the absolute horror of those who paid a visit to it, though it was played off as simply provocative, distasteful art. Stefano eventually found himself within a moo center, intrigued by its promise of enlightenment and greater purpose. And then he was evaluated as a Union citizen candidate. Just like Theodore Wallace, Stefano Valentini completely flew under the radar of the Mobius scientists, seen as an eccentric personality, but nothing to raise alarms about. I think that maybe, just, just maybe, those people weren't very good at their jobs. Just a feeling, I get it in the tip of my nose. Steve just might be a bad dude, you know? But I digress. Stefano was passed as a Union citizen candidate. His art would contribute to the overall vibrancy of the town and the people within. Remember, psychopathic personalities can be quite dangerous within STEM, even if they're not acting as the core. And within Union, everyone contributes to the overall functionality of the program. A person like Theodore or Stefano can garner power within the simulation. They can feed off the world and the people in it. 
It didn't take long for Theodore to make Stefano's acquaintance within Union. Theodore offered to give Stefano control over his old memories, make him whole within Union, shelter him from the memory wipes of Mobius, and give him special abilities within the program, a bit like what Ruvik was capable of within Beacon. Stefano very quickly agreed, and the two exceedingly dangerous men schemed a new scheme behind Myra Castellanos' back. Stefano would steal away Lily Castellanos, the core, once the wireless functionality of the STEM program was ready to be brought up, before Myra Castellanos could reach the girl. Stefano would deliver Lily to Theodore, and Theodore would use her to elevate himself within the program. The wireless functionality would be brought up, and the world would belong to them. It sure would be tragic if there was another betrayal, wouldn't it? But oh gosh, did I give it away? Okay, hold on, hold on. <clears throat> what happened at Beacon was covered up, of course it was. And Sebastian Castellanos wasn't very talkative about the whole affair. Certainly not about Joseph Oda, and certainly not about Julie Kidman, who had vanished from the Crimson Police Department immediately following her mission failure at Beacon. Amidst the chaos of several casualties and sequences of events that just didn't make sense, a lot of things fell through the cracks. Sebastian was already on the decline before Beacon, due to his daughter's supposed death and his wife going missing, but Beacon became his breaking point. He was seen as crazy, difficult, obstinate. Not long after Beacon, Sebastian was removed from the KPD. He put his time and efforts into tracking Mobius. He had questions that only they could answer, but between his crescendoing alcoholism and nigh disconnect from reality, well, he didn't get very far. Sebastian Castellanos became a shell of his former self. Julie Kidman was also changed by the events at Beacon, by the manipulations of Ruvik. She completely turned on Mobius, though she remained an agent. She's highly motivated to see the organization brought down. Myra Castellanos saw this change in her after Beacon, and she was recruited into Myra's plan to sabotage the Union program, kill every Mobius operative with a Unity cerebral chip, and save Lily Castellanos from her fate. The leadership of Mobius had no idea that Kidman and Myra had flipped, that Esmeralda Torres would join them, and that Theodore Wallace was amassing forces against them all within Union. Everyone was acting in their own little corners, with their own little plans, with their own special backstabs. But admittedly, it was Theodore Wallace who held the upper hand in all of this, or so it would seem. Reports began to come in from operatives. Land masses and atmosphere controls were being lost, daylight compromised, citizens were experiencing memory rewrites, and violent events began. The symptoms began simple enough. Small mental breaks, triggered by vestigial memory overlaps. Affected citizens begin to experience their old memories, which leaves them in a state of confusion. Rewriting their memories again is only a stopgap measure. Their new union designations serve only to confuse them further. Soon, these small breaks develop into complete dissociation and eventually total physical metamorphosis. This phenomenon is currently affecting only 0.005% of the populace, but it is troubling nevertheless. People within the Union STEM program that fell victim to this strange infection were referred to as the lost. Initially, during the early outbreak period, 0.005% active infections was, well, one person at a time. But it appeared often enough that elimination protocols were created, victims were taken to restricted labs for study within the simulation, and something called the pit was created, where bodies were to be deposited and a watch was posted 24-7 just to make sure that nothing came out of the pit. 
But things really went to hell when Myra, Theodore, and Esmeralda Torres finally put their plans into action and entered STEM. From an undisclosed location, using methods not revealed, the Rebels entered the Union STEM program before Phase 2 could be enacted, before wireless functionality could be achieved. Myra, Theodore, and Esmeralda entered the simulation. Kidman stayed out undercover within Mobius to act as a cover story and a decoy for the trio, who were now within STEM, looking for Lily Castellanos, the core. Remember, Myra wants to get her out regardless of the cost to herself. She has a plan to supplant Lily as the core, herself taking that power, and then overload all Mobius Unity cerebral chips, and then to end the Union STEM program forever. But first, they had to find the girl within the virtual town. And Theodore Wallace didn't waste any time. Theodore activates Stefano Valentini, the once wartime photographer turned serial killer. Stefano has a real good idea on where to find Lily. He's in complete control of his memories and his thoughts. Mobius has no control over his behaviors, and he knows how to traverse the simulation as a higher being of power. He chases down little Lily Castellanos with very minimal effort, and oh goodness, the figurative world falls to pieces in a matter of hours. With Lily lost as the core, those infections began to spread. Remember the phenomena that created the lost? It physically changed people, a metamorphosis. They became violent, lustful for blood, unthinking in their actions, some even becoming almost supernatural in their abilities. Those infections began to spike, soon from 0.005% to 20% of the population. The murders and the hunts began. The common town folk of Union, who had no memories remaining beyond that of the Union simulation, became like game for the infected. The infected were killed, taken in for study, disposed of within the pit, and then the infections began to jump to Mobius operatives. Those who became infected spoke of something chasing them, some unknowable source, some power that they couldn't explain, sometimes the manifestation of a child, a loved one, a monster, or a ghoul would present to them. The core disappearing is an absolute emergency, so Mobius forces entered STEM to locate and retrieve the girl. But after 36 hours, emergency protocols were instituted to prevent the core from escaping. Myra should have been able to get Lily out well before Mobius initiated that lockout to keep her inside, but, well, Lily had been taken, and the treachery of Theodore Wallace was easily sniffed out. Because as soon as he could, he vanished into his own little fortress, protected by fanatics and raging walls of flame, to await Stefano Valentini's delivery of Lily Castellanos. And Myra, she absolutely lost her mind. She begins siphoning off power from the program, just as Theodore had been doing, losing her sense of self to the rage and corruption bubbling up. Though she retained a high level of thought and knew exactly why she was in union, Myra too began to change. Not in a feral way, not as the Lost did. But Lily became her only focus, her goal. Old relationships no longer mattered. The rebellious team that devised the plan to save Lily and bring down Mobius, it completely fell apart. An entire week passed like this. Casualties mounted, and the likelihood of finding the core became less and less, and Mobius' leadership in the real world began to panic. They really did not have the full story, as they couldn't directly see into the simulation. Those outside of the Union STEM program relied on field agents and operatives to report back. But Julie Kidman knew what was up, at least to a degree. 
She knew that things went south, and she'd lost contact with her team. So in a last-ditch effort to find the core, to stop whatever was happening inside the simulation, and to salvage the project, a desperate call was made. Sebastian Castellanos would be found and he would be brought in. Finding him certainly wouldn't be hard. Convincing him certainly wouldn't be hard. Just tell him the truth of where his daughter was. Sebastian had been in STEM before, an extremely unstable one, in fact. He was perfectly suited to go in and fix their problem. So Julie Kidman is dispatched to pull him in. Old friends, old pals. And this is where we are reunited with our old, tired hero, Sebastian Castellanos. This isn't really a happy meeting. Sebastian has had three years to search for unanswerable questions and to fester in his own loss and sadness. And though Kidman is plotting against Mobius, she can't really tip her hand as she's arrived with chaperones. Not that she would anyways. Sebastian is a bit too agitated for secrecy at this point. Kidman cannot answer his questions, nor can she alleviate the weight of what happened at Beacon. But she can give him something else. Hope. Kidman tells him that Lily Castellanos is alive and in Mobius custody, and Sebastian reacts in a very predictable way. He pulls a gun. The more Kidman talks about Lily's status, the troubles surrounding her, the lies that have been told to Sebastian, the more irate he becomes. Thankfully, she's able to sedate him before violence breaks out. It would be tragic for Sebastian to have made it all this way, just to be shot down in some dive bar. And when he comes to, He's being rolled down a hallway at a Mobius facility, if not THE Mobius facility. And wow, they've really upped their game in the last three years. You could eat ice cream off this floor. Not that I would, that's weird, I absolutely would. The administrator, who's definitely not a stereotype villain, tries to play off to Sebastian that STEM is the future of mankind. Prosperity and happiness for all. But we really can't trust the administrator as far as we can dropkick him. He's absolutely full of malarkey, pardon my language, but it's true. But for a man like Sebastian, who's been without his family and without hope for so long, the motives of Mobius don't really matter, do they? The Mobius agents outside of the Union simulation only really know that the core has been missing for about a week and that the team sent in to find the girl has been lost within STEM. The administrator chooses his words very carefully when it comes to Sebastian and the girl. See her again. Save her. Let her die. Not give you back your daughter, or anything of that sort. Sebastian isn't meant to make it back out alive, even if he succeeds. Lily is too important to Mobius, they're not letting her go. Sebastian is a tool, of course. Kidman will be Sebastian's point of contact, to relay information to the outside world. They're going to keep close tabs on his progress. He is their last chance at retrieving Lily. She will be outside to help him, Kidman assures him. And someone will be inside for him. Oh, I wonder who she means. Getting properly taken into STEM. It's a bit what I imagine being flushed down a toilet feels like. But at least Sebastian's safe haven within STEM is familiar. A very nice recreation of his old office at the Crimson Police Department, created courtesy of his own subconscious, with a familiar old kitty cat from Kidman's Adventures within STEM at Beacon. Oh, hello, kitty meow meow. But leaving all safety nets behind, diving into the program. Sebastian doesn't land directly in the streets of Union. There is some fun to be had first, with the big kid on the block. A very special welcome. Do you know whose little piece of paradise we're walking into? Oh, I'll, I'll give you some hints. Here we go. Let's see. Lots of photographs. Some blood on the walls. Oh, 
Art pieces of death caught in motion, left to repeat over and over. Mutilated women, women hanging from wires, from ropes, in pieces. Oh, there's some of the Mobius team that came in to find Lily. Oh, and some photography equipment. Have you guessed who it is yet? Oh, power thighs, baby. Yes, it's Stefano Valentini, playing out his fantasies, taking his victims. He even attempts to stop Sebastian before he can even reach Union itself. In terms of leads, old Steve just took a place at the top of the list of bastards to hunt. Sebastian makes it through his sick little house of horrors, finally landing himself on the outskirts of Union. And by the looks of it, oh, something terrible has happened here. The normal residents of Union do not recall their past lives in the real world. Their memories were wiped and false ones were planted. This feels like reality to them. As the lost infections spread, as people became violent and viciously malformed, these perfectly normal and innocent people were left to fight for themselves. Or rather, at least by the looks of it, they were left to die terrifying deaths. No one came to help. No one knew what was happening. It was like a zombie virus broke out in small-town America. Mobius had no idea just how dire it had become within Union, that a Ruvik-akin killer was running around unchecked. Not even the armed operatives within Union stand a chance against what is taking place on the streets. Sebastian gets into a safe house where one of the surviving Mobius agents is hiding, a technician named Liam O'Neill. Liam seems to be the cowardly type, selfish and self-serving. But you know, he's a tech. He's not a soldier. He didn't sign up for mobs of flesh-starved citizens gobbling down his giblets. He's probably in a state of panic and shock. Yes, he abandoned the man who saved his life in the streets to be cleft in twain by the lost, but come on, guy! It's a tough world out there. Liam refuses to go back outside. Can't say I blame him. But he will at least give Sebastian tips on tracking things with his handy-dandy communicator device, which will lead him closer to Lily and information on other Mobius teams and item caches hidden around the area. Outside, in the admittedly charming, in a Silent Hill-esque way, town of Union, Sebastian can use his communicator to track the resonance of people of interest, in this case, Lily Castellanos. Most of the murder and mayhem has already taken place. The streets are almost empty, but the integrity of the simulation is in fast decline. The streets are hardly stable, the land masses are broken up, some of them floating sideways in the sky, and it will just continue to decline the longer a stable core isn't in place. Sebastian tracks the resonance of Lily into a gas station, where violence took place. Someone was chasing her through the building, and they would continue to chase her through the town. Little Lily made it as far as the warehouse before someone was through playing cat and mouse. What a dapper suit. Oh, who could this be? Oh, he's leaving. Do you think he's been fooled? Boo! <laughs> no, he wasn't fooled but at least he has a sense of humor about it. Lily very quickly was taken into Stefano's custody, and soon, very immediately soon in fact, Sebastian is welcomed back into the vicious dream abode of Stefano, where he continues to practice and perfect his art. But only for a moment, only for a moment. We can't reveal too much to Sebastian yet now, can we? And Stefano will be watching, in a sense, from the sky bringing new, frightening spawns against Sebastian. But Stefano's little game is caught by Liam, who registers a previously never seen frequency coming from City Hall. The only issue being that City Hall is floating on a different axis in the sky, but 
Our now new best friend, Liam O'Neill, is proving his worth, just as Sebastian is proving his own worth to Liam, a mutually beneficial best friendship. Mobius built a backstage of sorts in Union, a way that operatives could move around the simulation without being observed by the town inhabitants, a system called the Marrow. If Sebastian can get into the Marrow via a Mobius console, then he'll be able to travel through still-functional tunnels to other parts of Union that have been physically disconnected from one another. Very cool. And lucky for Sebastian, Liam is just the dude to point him in the right direction to one of these Mobius terminals and even gifts him with a mask. A mask that will be needed to get through some of the gas-ridden tunnels within the Marrow. Seems the shifts in the program have caused some infrastructure issues. Some of the Mobius agents were lost to the gas flooding, and Liam cannot afford to lose Sebastian too. The Marrow is in surprisingly awful shape. The lost have made it down here. The corridors are falling apart. The hallways are a mess and there's blood smattered on the walls. If the Lost didn't get the Mobius teams and faculty, then Stefano sure as heck did. And he is waiting for Sebastian at City Hall, completely unconcerned with his approach. In fact, he has a very special surprise. A reunion with the Union greeter Sebastian encountered when he entered the simulation. The Guardian, aka Power Thighs. An amalgamation of body parts and female heads, a seeming favorite of Steve's creations. And Sebastian could just avoid this fight, take a run around the building and sneak inside, but come on now. Take a stroll around the fountain. Shoot some crossbolts. Frolic about the carnage. Slow down and live a little. Inside City Hall, there is a suffering Mobius agent, a man named Miles Harrison, who does not have a lot of time left. He cannot answer where the core is, where Lily is, but there's something on the second floor called a stable field emitter. Sebastian needs to turn it off to stabilize Union, or it will continue to fall apart. And it will prevent Stefano from exerting control over the area. Stefano has turned City Hall into his own perverse art gallery, his own little playground covered in grotesque art, and more Mobius agents trapped in death loops. And Sebastian will entertain him now as well. Stefano does not kill Sebastian outright. Stefano is a slow burner of a killer, he instead ushers him about the building, toying with the layout, forcing him to solve little puzzles, displaying art of Lily Castellanos, and vulgar depictions of his victims. Stefano lets Sebastian proceed as far as activating the stable field emitter before he steps out of the shadows himself. Stefano is in complete control of the situation. Sebastian is powerless against him. Stefano has no reason to let Sebastian go save serving his own ego and his own vanity. Stefano does not strike a killing blow. He releases Sebastian so that he can contend with a diabolical creature called Obscura. And if it wasn't so depraved, it could almost be called beautiful, couldn't it? Sebastian cannot kill the Obscura, only stun the thing long enough to let the stable field emitter activate, small chunks at a time. The counter ticks down to activation. It's a delicate balance between chasing down the beast and running from it. Upon activation, the city hall returns to its normal form. The influences of Stefano are gone, and the eye in the sky that follows Stefano has moved to another floating segment of the town. It seems to be watching over a movie theater. Liam O'Neill is able to direct him back to the marrow to a proper exit to take. Kidman, in the meantime, and Mobius are looking into just who the hell this Stefano character is. 
Another Mobius agent is hiding in the marrow, a Mobius psychologist named Yukiko Hoffman, who is consistently about one sentence away from admitting that she is fucking terrible at her job, but just never quite takes responsibility for letting someone like Stefano Valentini into the simulation, even though what happened at Beacon was well-known and well-documented, and there were warning signs all around Stefano, indicating that he was a highly unstable person with violent tendencies. But okay, okay, I'm leaving Yukiko Hoffman alone for now. I got it out of my system, we're good. Now, it takes some jumping through hoops to actually get access to the theater, as Stefano really, really likes his games. And in case you were wondering, the Marquis says that A Father's Nightmare is showing tonight at 10pm, and Rotten to the Core is playing Friday night, Snapshot is showing at 5 and 8pm, and a Sunday matinee of White Dog will begin at 2pm. Don't be late, get your tickets ahead of time, wear a mask, and don't litter. But oh my, it seems that a show has already started in the main theater. Look at all these people. I wonder if A Father's Nightmare has already started. The core is safe with me. I took her on his orders. But once I realized the extent of her powers, how could I possibly hand her over? What I'm doing is more important than mere personal gain. He could never understand this. He? Who is he? It doesn't matter. He won't be around much longer. My work, however, will continue. Shit! No! Don't! Behold, my latest creation. No! No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Yes, exploding heads. Yes, but did you catch what just happened here? Oh my. It's a triple betrayal. Can you believe it? Stefano betrays Theodore, who has betrayed Myra, who has betrayed Mobius, who has betrayed Sebastian, who has betrayed his love for Joseph Oda. Can you believe it? That last part isn't true. I lied. Moving on. Stefano realizes that Lily Castellanos is his ticket to more power. He can rule this world and carry on whatever lifestyle he wishes, fulfill all his artistically grotesque fantasies. Okay, and yes, about 150 people just had their heads popped like cherries. It's time to bring justice to Stefano Valentini. Once again, rather than just killing Sebastian outright, because he has the ability to do so, Stefano puts Sebastian through a mini gauntlet of hide-and-seek with his eye in the sky, the aperture. Just don't let it see you, Sebastian. It's not the mightiest of foes, given its lumbering and its bravado. But then it's back through Stefano's red rooms and his art galleries, where he confesses to Sebastian that he needs him for a special art piece that he's been working on. How sweet, except, well, by the end of Sebastian's run through madness, Stefano has only now become bored and takes up arms against the once detective. And for a moment, for no particular reason at all, I would like to hearken back to a man named Ruben Victoriano, Ruvik. And you know, Ruvik, he really did have everything under control. Everything happened for a reason in his games. Every avenue was planned out. And in the end, after 13 hours of hell, 
the final message that Ruvik left with Sebastian was, for all your viciousness and your fighting, you didn't stop anything. I let you survive to do my dirty work in the future. And look at where Sebastian is now, fighting Mobius, doing Ruvik's revenge-seeking for him. Ruvik made it out of STEM, just as planned. He was never actually under any threat of somebody conquering him, at least not once the wireless function went out. And I don't bring that up for any reason other than just to remember what an amazingly complex, well-planned, devious villain Ruvik turned out to be. Anyways, Stefano is defeated by Sebastian. Yes, the same guy that just a few hours prior had frozen Sebastian in place and held a knife three centimeters from his eye. For all his power, his speed, and bloodlust, it's a few clips of ammo that bring down the genius artist. Yeah, it makes sense. It's really too bad to see such wasted potential. But what Sebastian has been seeking is nearby. Lily. Now that Stefano is gone, the girl is free. It would certainly be a profound and confusing moment for her. She's thought her father dead for years now. And with the state of union, I don't blame her for lacking trust in what she sees. But with Stefano gone, another force is able to enter the theater. Oh, so this... This is what's become of Myra. Myra is an elevated being within STEM, more akin to Stefano than Sebastian now. When she lost Lily to Theodore and Stefano's scheming, this is what she chose. And now there's nothing keeping her away from the girl. Not even Sebastian will come between Myra and her daughter. She takes the girl away, and Sebastian is left to fall. Back into his safe haven, to ponder just what the hell has happened to his wife. Sebastian has pieced together that Kidman knows about Myra being in Union. There's a conspiracy in play here against Mobius. But over his communicator, a new voice chimes through the static. Oh, and an altar has appeared in Sebastian's haven, candlelit and surrounded by blood, with symbolism reminiscent of the occultic church that Sebastian and Joseph Oda explored at Cedar Hill Church during the Beacon Incident, then used by the Moo Centers, now adopted by Theodore Wallace for his own iconography. Oh, how original of him. Approaching the dirty, perverse thing takes Sebastian to a most interesting agglomerate of religion, prison, and torture. Citizens of Union and Mobius agents were brought here during the fall of the town by Theodore Wallace, either torn apart or converted into mindless, animalistic followers beings to protect him. And as Sebastian proceeds, Theodore attempts the typical evildoer scheme of implanting doubt and despair into Sebastian, using a holier-than-thou tone to assert that Sebastian's own emotions and pain are what's caused everything in his life to cascade. But Theodore's attempts at manipulation are extremely apparent, and not in the least bit effective. It's the sort of victim-blaming and hope-dangling that you might expect from a bad 1980s B-movie villain. But Theodore certainly does go all in. Sure, sure, Theo. Lily's disappearance was totally Sebastian's fault. I mean, he pretty much set that fire himself, didn't he? Planted a body, emotionally devastated himself, chose to torpedo his own marriage. I mean, if you think about it. Didn't Sebastian practically invite Mobius into his house that night? Yeah. Sure, Theo. Good tactic. Very, very effective. Oh, and he's going to use Lily against Sebastian. Oh, that's re- Oh, hello. Oh, well, hello. This is fun. Yes, please. More of this. 
Theodore and Sebastian do eventually have their face-to-face -face time, and admittedly, Theodore is quite coy in his handling of the situation, very Mobius-like in his approach. Theodore cannot contend with Myra. He has a gilded tongue and talks a fair game, but Theodore does not have Lily to elevate his powers. He never has. Compared to Stefano and Myra, Theodore is a very weak man within STEM. There's a reason that he's converted so many Union citizens into his own monstrous disciples. He needs protection. So he elevates his importance to Sebastian, presenting himself as the ultimate power of this place, the true master of STEM. All he's missing is Lily Castellanos, the core. And Sebastian, oh, Sebastian can get her for him. No, he will not do it himself. Theodore will not leave the supposed safety of his fortress. He needs Sebastian to do it for him. So in a most gracious display of mercy, Theodore sends Sebastian away. Sebastian wakes up in a shack with one Esmeralda Torres, a rough-and-tumbled, hardened, badass, soldier-mercenary chick who doesn't take guff or help from anyone. She has a chip on her shoulder and a rockin' midriff, no protective gear, and a v-neck full of cleavage. Esmeralda Torres was a part of the mission to kidnap Lily Castellanos and burn their family home. She joined with Myra and Kidman in their betrayal of Mobius to make amends for that deed, to absolve herself from her sins. And now she's here to assist Sebastian. Kidman had asked Torres to keep an eye out for Sebastian if their plan to save Lily had gone awry, which it absolutely did. Torres fills in the blanks for Sebastian, all about Kidman and Myra's involvement, their original plans to get the girl and blow the brain chips of all Mobius agents. And in return, Sebastian tells her that Theodore went turncoat. She's been completely left in the dark since everything went south, uncertain of what to do next. She's just been waiting for something. Sebastian was the first thing that came along. Torres does have her own handy-dandy little hideaway, however, a nice spot for Sebastian to get back in touch with other points of contact within STEM. But it seems that someone has gone dark. Liam O'Neill, he's not answering his communicator. And back in the marrow. Oh, more blood and candles. Theodore has been through here. But this marrow passage, it's near Yukiko Hoffman's safe house. More trouble brews, as Hoffman is not in the safe house. A resonance has been left behind, showing that Liam O'Neill got in contact with her. He's in a restricted area of the Marrow, beyond a laboratory of some sort. He shouldn't be there, but he's calling Hoffman to join him. And her, being the amazing judge of character that she obviously is, goes to where Liam is calling from, leaving her safe house to follow Liam's directions. Though we really should be thanking Hoffman. Get that sass out of here, because where Sebastian journeys to next is most interesting. It just reeks of evil doing, but don't worry, no lasers will come out of the wall to cube up Sebastian. He finds himself in the quarantine and study labs, which were utilized by Mobius to study the infection that caused people to go berserk, to become the lost. It seems that some of them broke out of confinement at some point. The lab is a death trap now. How Hoffman made it through here in one piece is a mystery, but Sebastian doesn't get to simply stroll about unchallenged. And it would seem that the Mobius researchers that were caught in the lab during the core's removal and the spread of the infection were completely abandoned to die here, a truly terrifying, lonely way to go. Yukiko Hoffman is deep in a restricted area, having been guided there by Liam O'Neill. And when Sebastian catches up, oh, a conflict of some sort is taking place between the two. He doesn't know what he's doing! 
Yeah, neither do you, Hoffman. Liam has been taken by Theodore Wallace, transformed into something new and violent and admittedly super cool. Even in this state, it doesn't seem that Liam wants to hurt Hoffman, but he's compelled to act against Sebastian. Theodore and Liam struck a bit of a deal. Liam helped Theodore hide himself away, and in return, Liam is experiencing power, possibly for the first time in his life. In this state, Liam is no longer weak, and he's all too eager to display it against Sebastian. But once the chaos of the flame subsides, and Liam is subdued, Liam is grateful to be freed from the thrumming voice of Theodore Wallace. He acted out of fear and accepts his fate, the consequences of that fear. To reveal where Theodore hides, all that needs to be done is to destroy Liam's machine. He sure built this thing quick, didn't he? Esmeralda Torres is the woman for the job. She loads that beast up with explosives and side by side, Torres and Sebastian stand about 15 feet away and stare at the explosion as shrapnel flies about the room. Theodore Wallace is not pleased that Sebastian will not abide by his rules. He asked Sebastian nicely to do his work for him, but he just won't cooperate. So it's time for a change of scenery, a deep, dark, bloodied pit where Lily calls to her father, always from afar, just out of reach, blaming him for giving up on her, blaming him for not believing Myra, blaming him for everything. And Theodore tries to convince Sebastian that Myra achieved power and access to Lily by submitting, presumably to him or some higher power, which is absolute, blatant deception. He's trying to control Sebastian again with by-the-book cult leader nonsense. Theodore's final resort is creating a false vessel of the girl to lure Sebastian in, to use her voice and presence against him, to creep into his mind and mix physical pain and extreme regret. But Sebastian will not let Theodore win, and when Sebastian finally takes his shot... Oh, whoops. That was actually pretty sly of Theodore, wasn't it? And I gotta hand it to Torres. Even after an extremely close-range gunshot wound to the belly, it's her who drags Sebastian away from danger, back to Hoffman's safe house, and fights to keep the lost off of him. If only she'd worn some sort of protective gear, right? In the abyss of unconsciousness, Sebastian has either a dream of or an interaction with his wife, Myra. Back at their old home before the fire, his old life. Myra asks him to stop allowing the past to control him, to stay strong and fight for Lily, and to forgive himself. That's the most important thing. And back in Yukiko Hoffman's safe house, Torres has not survived this injury. Though, if Yukiko Hoffman is to be believed, then it wasn't the extremely close-range gunshot wound to the gut that killed Taurus. No, that was <clears throat> superficial. It was the lost that killed her. So there's no reason for Sebastian to blame himself for the death of a Conrad. The close-range gunshot to her gut was superficial. God, Yukiko, who the hell hired you? But Sebastian, he's forgiven himself. He no longer feels any guilt. And remember, guys, that's that's what's most important. But with Liam's field emitter destroyed and Theodore's fortress exposed, Union begins to rapidly collapse. The streets of the business district where the fortress lays is flooded with infected citizens and abominations. Not only that, 
but the flames around Theodore's fortress are indeed high and thick. And everything is starting to burn. The marrow is almost completely collapsed at this point. It's the final leg of Union. Sebastian clears a way for Hoffman through the business district where Theodore's fortress waits. And she's brought with her a special project that Liam O'Neill left behind, a portable stable field emitter. It's kind of awkwardly bulky and prone to malfunctioning, but it's all that they have to get them through the massive wall of flames around the fortress. That malfunctioning means that Yukiko Hoffman must go with Sebastian to keep the equipment running. And all goes pretty darn well. Until... Well owned. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, she did. Wait, Sebastian, like, belly flopped? <laughs> like, five feet away from her and stuck out his hand, and that was his version of trying to save her life. <laughs> Sebastian, dude, you suck so bad sometimes. Theodore Wallace's fortress is every bit what you would expect of a villain with world domination aspirations. And he keeps just harping away in Sebastian's ear, now resorting to outright threats against him. Not really the words of a man who feels totally in control of the situation, and nor should he. Theodore Wallace is a charlatan, a weak man who preys on others to suit his own needs and meet his goals. He's repeatedly victimized the citizens of Union to empower himself. He has no qualms with using a child to stroke his messiah-complex-ridden ego. When someone threatens another with violence, it's truly a statement on that person's fragile sense of self and confidence, a way to dominate under threat of pain, not the words or actions of a powerful individual, not somebody worthy of praise or reverence, quite the opposite, in fact. And when Theodore cannot get his way, using threats and manipulation, his Hail Mary is to dredge up the horrors of Beacon Mental Hospital, when a far more sinister force known as Ruvik brought true psychological torment upon Sebastian. That is the best that Theodore can do. Use the works of Ruvik against Sebastian, not conjure his own punishments. A truly weak man. And in fact, this little plan, oh, it spectacularly backfires. It's instead a chance for Sebastian to confront those things. He's had three years to process it. Now it's time for closure of the most grotesque kind, to banish those boogeymen that have crept around in the night, to face the true horror of Beacon with a stronger, wiser front, through the sadist, the keeper, through Laura Victoriano, these will no longer be the faces of Sebastian's demons. They are dead, they are gone, they are no longer here, and it's time to leave them in the past, to move on and face the future without them. Thanks, Theodore. It wasn't quite what you intended, was it? Seems you're not quite cut out for this, are you? Just another false prophet in a world already overcrowded with them. But let's see what actual power within STEM looks like. Oh, it's Myra. She can dish out pain to Theodore, take a retaliatory knife to the neck, and still walk away just fine. Theodore, however, cannot withstand or defend against her, and he is taken down with very little fanfare. All this work 
to protect himself, and to get people to fight for him, well, it was all for nothing. He was his own ruin, and it is a most befitting end. Myra doesn't really care that Sebastian is there anymore. She's lost in her own goal to keep her daughter, almost obsessive over it. Nothing else matters. She just wants the girl for herself. She can protect her. She can take care of her. Sebastian is not needed, nor is he particularly cared about. Myra brings down the fortress with ease and leaves Sebastian to rise from the rubble of its ruin. Union is all but gone now. Everything that either still stands or still roams about is touched by the influence of Myra. Sebastian doesn't give up on his search. His child and his wife are near within his grasp. There's no option to leave for him. And when Sebastian does track down Myra, it's a feat of self-control to retain her former mind and steady her hand from violence against him. Sebastian wants to take Lily from this place. Myra does not want to give up her daughter. She is so intent on saving Lily from her fate that she'll even lash out against someone who wants to aid the child. And as Sebastian does not do as she commands, he does not leave Myra and Lily here. Myra also turns her ire against her husband. Myra will take two and keep Lily in a recreation of their old home within the program. The nonsensical nature of it doesn't matter to her. Myra is obsessed with keeping Lily for herself, keeping her safe, supposedly. It's a selfish fear that's overtaken Myra. What is best for Lily is not taken into regard, rather, what Myra wants takes the center stage. Myra's intention from the start was to get Lily out, take her seat as the core, and detonate the Unity Cerebral Chip inside all Mobius agents. Doing that would most likely result in Myra's own demise, though, as the STEM program would completely collapse with her at the center. Myra has to accept that she will not be the one keeping Lily safe, that she will not be a part of her life, and that's a tough reality to handle. One that she does not want. One she will not let Sebastian have either. If not her, then nobody will have the girl. The final tribulation will be against his own wife. She takes the form of a seething behemoth. And Sebastian has to slowly tear his wife apart, piece by piece, in a long, drawn-out fight that neither of them will concede. Even when her limbs fall off, she just changes tactics as the parts that were once Myra Castellanos slowly fall away and the behemoth is torn apart. Myra fights until there's literally nothing left of her to fight with, and her form begins to melt away. Though in the pooling remains of the beast, the old Myra does linger on. The violent obsession staved away, and her old self has a brief time to remember what really matters, the life of her daughter. The old plan was a good one. Get Lily out and destroy Mobius. It's not too late for that plan to work too. Though, now we've seen Mobius agents like Liam O'Neill, Yukiko Hoffman, and Julian Sykes. Those are the kinds of people who will be killed when Myra detonates their Unity Cerebral Chips. That's, that's really a tough break, isn't it? Myra eagerly concedes while in her right mind that Sebastian needs to take Lily and get her out of this place. But he doesn't understand that Myra has another plan to permanently end Mobius. If he did know what she intended to do, he'd probably try to stop her, elongate the argument, 
waste precious time, so she lies, saying that she'll be alright, she'll be right behind them. There's something that she needs to do, but he needs to get the girl and leave this place first. He trusts in Myra. Or at least he honors her request. And now it's time for Kidman to raise hell and get them out. Come on, girl. God, I've been waiting for this. She probably has been too. Julie Kidman, you're okay in my book. She is done taking orders from the administrator. And when the command comes down to end Sebastian, she starts taking shots. Like a one-woman wrecking ball to buy Sebastian time to get Lily and extract him from his terminus pod. And while she brings havoc down on Mobius, Sebastian gets to have a long-awaited, sweet reunion with his girl and deliver the wonderful news that this is all over and they get to go home together now to catch up on lost time and to share in their stories. And Kidman buys him the time he needs to say a final goodbye to Myra for her to explain what's to come and why it has to be this way. It is a tough reality to handle, but time is not on their side. The farewell must be short and to the point. A stern heart and a tough face are required for this to work. There can be no arguments on the matter. It's the only way to keep Lily safe. Kidman makes her way to Sebastian's terminus pod. As he makes a mad dash in the simulation to reach the extraction point, Mobius agents are trying to break in through the doors, and the administrator will just not stop harping on about world peace and legendary status and on and on and on. As if the true intentions of Mobius haven't been stated over and over again. As if no one isn't immediately clued into the fact that this guy is bad news. This is about power. This is about domination. At least be honest about it, my dude. In a last attempt to stop Kidman, the administrator tries to blow the Unity cerebral chip in Kidman's head. Um, oh, oh my goodness, the chip. The chip was there. Until about three days ago when she pried it out herself. Lily and Sebastian make it to the extraction point, leaving just enough time for Myra to connect the STEM system to all Mobius operatives and to detonate their Unity cerebral chips. It's finally the end. Sebastian can get Lily out of her little prison, completely disconnect from STEM, and return to reality where her father is waiting. It all just kind of seems like a bad dream to her. But now it's time for a new start, with nothing hanging over their heads. The trio depart from Mobius uncontested. Sebastian takes Lily far away from Crimson City to start new lives someplace else and rebuild what was taken from them. Kidman, too, is able to start anew. She's been a part of Mobius for all of her adult life. She hails from a troubled past, but now... As a grown woman, she gets to breathe free and choose for herself what will come next. Mobius will never be able to hurt them again. Stem is gone. The system's destroyed. N nothing will hurt. Ah, oh, shit.